Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Road, and we are really, really glad uh, that you're here this morning with us. That video was done by Drew Bernard and Aaron Bumgarner. They did most of the heavy lifting on that video. And so uh, thank you to them for putting that together. That takes a lot of time and effort. So we are glad that they were able to do that and they serve the church in that way. I've, I've, I'll go ahead and apologize. I'm getting over a cold, so I'm going to be coughing a lot today. I'm going to try not to cough into the mic. I'm trying to cough away from it to help you guys out and not be annoying. But I'm going to be drinking the water and trying to, trying to get through this without coughing too much. But um. I said, we're really, really honored that you would um, choose to worship with us on a Sunday, and we're really, really glad that you're here, especially those of you who are, who are guests with us. Today, we're going to be starting a four-week series, a new four-week series, and we're calling it A Missional Move, as you see on the slides um, on the screens. And to help you understand um, this series and why we're calling it this, I need to take you back about 10 months into the past um, to last November. Last November, Bethel Baptist Church, who owns this building, approached us and said they would like to begin using this space again on Sunday mornings. And they were kind enough to say, oh, to give us 14 months to, to be out of the space. They, would like, they said that we'd like for you to be out of the space <coughs> um, at the end of 2017. So we began um, looking immediately for spaces. And by the way, if, if you know someone at Bethel, um, or if you run into somebody that's connected to Bethel Baptist Church, just tell them thank you. They've been, they were so generous. They gave us such a, a good deal on rent. Um, it was a great example of a church, a, a larger, more established church, helping a young and kind of startup church. And they have been, um, we've been blessed by them beyond measure. So if you know someone at Bethel or you run into somebody at Bethel, tell them thank you for letting us use um, the facility, which will end up being almost four years, which has been a huge, huge blessing to us. So we began looking for facilities back in November, um, and we found a facility in March that we really liked. And we began the long process of, of, of research and looking into it and talking to the owners and all those things. And um, just last month, we signed a, a long-term lease on a space. It's in downtown Norman. Um, it's a block south of Main Street. And uh, the address is 110 South Crawford. And the lease is for 10 years that we sign. And we have two five-year options after that 10 years. So potentially we could be in this space for up to 20 years. And we're able to get an amazing deal um, on the monthly uh, rent payments. A great deal that the, the landlord <coughs> landlord's given us. But to be able to get into the space and be able to begin using the space, um, we have a, a renovation project ahead of us. That's where we're headed in the next few months. Um, before I get into some of the details about that space and, 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 and what that's going to look like, um, I just want to kind of confess and stand before you on behalf of the other three elders of this church um, before we start talking about money that we, we really haven't pastored this church well in the area of finances. And we just want to admit that and say that up front that we haven't talked enough about it um, I think a lot of the reason is because we've actually always been a pretty um, healthy church in terms of giving. And maybe we've just kind of felt that because we were fairly healthy, we didn't need to really talk about it much. But we're realizing that we were um, in error on that. And we just want to come before you and apologize for not pastoring and leading you better when it comes to finances. Uh, before we get into um, this other stuff. But the Bible has a lot to say about money. So we want to be a church that teaches on money, that teaches on generosity, that's not afraid to walk into 
um, these, th this topic. And I think what this initiative and this, this missional move is going to bring, it's going to force us into a place where we actually talk about money. And then we're not scared to talk about it. And we, we look at the scriptures and just open the word and just talk about how the, talk, and how the Bible talks about money and really process these things as a church. So we're going to start um, that now, beginning with this series. So more details on the space, though. This renovation is going to cost us $500,000. Okay, 400000 of that is going to the building, plumbing, electric, HVAC, uh, busting up concrete, um, the, the subflooring, all that kind of stuff is built into that 400000 Another 100000 to make $500,000 total, 100000 is going to stuff that just it, it takes to, to, to run a church, uh, to, 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 to meet, to gather. Uh, chairs, a few tables, furnishings, paint to paint the walls with, um, outfitting the, the kids' space and, and everything that it needs to, to be able to do a kid's, kids' ministry on a weekly basis. That's where the other $100,000 comes from for $500,000 total. Now, the renovation's already begun, and we hope uh, to be in the space and using the space by the first of the year, so in less than four months. And everything I've mentioned to you is on this handout. It, there should be one on each chair, this one kind of book, large bookmark type thing. It, sh they should have been on your chair. Um, and more stuff than I, than I just mentioned is on here, but the stuff I just mentioned is, is on here. So take that home and you can refer to that, um, and, and especially with some of those details. Uh, the goals, in, in the goal section, you'll notice this on here, that um, because the renovation has already begun, we are hoping to have $150,000 in hand by the end of the year to go towards, directly towards the renovation, to get that done. And then we're hoping to pledge out the remaining, whatever that remainder is, pledge that out over, um, over 2018 and 2019. So beginning in January of 2018, moving all the way through 2019, um, we are hoping to pledge the rest of that out, okay? So this is a huge season that we're moving into as a church, and we want to move into this as a family and, and, and kind of get everyone on the same page and move forward at the same time. We had a members meeting last weekend, uh, to kind of before we started this Sunday, to talk with our members, to get together, to answer questions, all of those things. It was a great night uh, that we, we, we prayed and we asked God um, to lead us into this time. So this is a four-week series, and the last week of this series on October 8th, we're having what we're just calling a Pledge Sunday. We want to do this all together. We want to do this as a family. Part of that service will be um, kind of taking out pledge cards, which we'll provide at the time, and writing the number that you want to pledge towards this initiative, um, either immediately or over the next two years. We're going to provide a space for that, and we want to kind of bring those before the Lord together and just recognize that He's the one we feel like has, has created this, this opportunity for us to move into this space and we're, we, that we want to beg him to use the finances that we put towards the building to change Norman, to truly be a church on mission, to truly see the city changed. Um, if that's not our prayer, we shouldn't be doing this. If this building doesn't lead to the city being changed to a greater degree, we shouldn't be doing this. So we want to beg God to use the money that you all give um, to be able to, to, to reach that goal. So we'll do that on October 8th. That'll be Pledge Sunday. So this is a four-week series kind of building to that date. And you'll hear more specifics about the pledge card and those kinds of things really in weeks three and four of this series. So I know when I kind of stood up here and started and started talking about, uh, this is we're gonna talk about finances today. Um, I'm sure if you are a guest with us, or maybe you don't call yourself a Christian, you're like, great. The, the Sunday I tried church, here we go. 
talking about, talking about money. So I'm going to give you time to elbow the person next to you, you know, say something derogatory in their ear if you're mad at them. So go ahead and do that now. Um, and maybe some of you are in here and you're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus and you have negative feelings when a pastor gets up and starts talking about money. Maybe you've had negative experiences with this and you become nervous and maybe you start tuning me out. But here's, I, I, would, I would beg you and ask you not to tune me out for a couple of reasons. First, money affects us all. So we shouldn't worry about talking about money. We should be afraid to talk about money because it affects every single one of us. From, from a national economy standpoint to, to, to getting a little bit lower into um, the cost of your house, the cost of gas, the cost of groceries, money is involved in all of that. We deal with money every single day and it affects us in different ways every single day. Some of you are really struggling right now with money and it's really affecting your, 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 your freedom and joy. And some of you maybe are, are um, you, you kind of use money for your own comforts. And so maybe you're kind of attached to money in that way, like Cliff mentioned in the video. So Jesus talks about money and possessions more than any other single topic in all the scriptures. So we want to be a church that talks about this as well. And we've always wanted to be a church that when we come across tough things in the scriptures, we want to tackle those things head on and talk about them and teach on them and really wrestle with what the Bible has to say on these things. But the second reason I want to, to you to not tune me out is because, like I mentioned, I think there's been a lot of uh, poor teaching on this topic in the church. I think many of you have probably had really bad experiences You've heard some really unbiblical things and seen some unbiblical things in the church when it comes to money. But this is your, your, your experience and what you've seen and heard has affected how you view money. And if that's you, I'm, I'm really, really sorry that you've been through that. I'm really sorry that you have these feelings when money is brought up in the context of church and the Bible. That's why it's even more important, though, that you stay with us because we're really just going to look at the scriptures for these next four weeks and ask ourselves, what does the Bible have to say about money? And, and, and as the leaders, I can guarantee you that we know one day we will stand before a holy and righteous God and give an account to him on how we stewarded and managed the money that was given to Providence Road Church. Like we get that and we know that. And that, that, that adds weight to this whole decision that we're moving into here. And we've prayed and we've fasted and we've wrestled with this decision because we know we will stand before God and answer to how we spend the money that is given to us. So just know that's where the leadership stands and we walk into this kind of humbly um, and with some weight as we talk about finances um, and the church. So I, I, I pray over the next few weeks that your, your mind would be changed, if that's you, from looking at the scriptures and that you would go home and you would wrestle with what the scriptures have to say about money and generosity. So that's where we're headed the next four weeks. The next two specifically, we're going to look at today what the Bible has to say about generosity. Okay, just look at it kind of a broad picture with the time we have left. What does it look like to be generous in the scriptures and how do we do that? And next week, we're really going to get into kind of the nuts and bolts on giving and what the Bible has to say specifically about money. This week's going to be a little bit more broad. Next week, we're really going to drill down on, on money and talk about tithe and what is that? It's a weird term. What does that really mean? Where do we get that? That question and a few more questions we're going to tackle next week. So when the Bible addresses generosity, it's actually really talking more, more broadly than just money. Okay, usually it's talking about time. 
be talking about your gifts and your talents. It could be talking about like your relationship investment, like how, how giving you are of yourself to other people. But it does not always include money. The Bible also tends to go deeper than we tend to think when we start talking about generosity. I think we maybe tend to stay on the surface and, and think about just our behavior as it um, results to generosity. But over and over and over again, the Bible looks at the heart. The Bible looks at the motives, the motivations for why we give. For really any behavior, and it's definitely not any different for generosity. So the question I want us to kind of think about to get us started is, do you consider yourself a generous person? Just think about that. Do you consider yourself a generous person? And I don't think it matters whether you're a Christian or a a non-Christian in this room. I think we all want to be generous. Generosity is one of those things that's seen, seen as a value, whether you're in the church or you're outside of the church. To be a, a, per, a person who's focused on philanthropy and, and giving stuff away and those kinds of things, that's valued in our culture. It's obviously valued inside the church as well. So I think we all want to be generous. But I think all of us also have some blind spots when it comes to generosity. There, there's some corners and crevices of our lives where I think we're a little stingy. We can be a little greedy. We can be a little closed-fisted when it comes to our stuff, our possessions, um, when we are thinking about generosity. I think this is why Jesus and Paul made a point to talk about these things a lot because they are blind spots. Because no one's quick to just admit, hey, I'm a really, really greedy person. Like You don't hear that, that one confessed very often. I think most of us kind of lean towards, yeah, I'm pretty generous. But let's really look at the, what the Bible has to say and what the Bible sets forth as the goal for generosity. And we're going to read a passage here in a second, but you just think of uh, many of the passages, especially in the Gospels that are laid out. You think of the rich young ruler, moralistic guy, guy that's kept all the, all the rules, all the laws, comes to Jesus and says, I've, I've, kept, I've done everything. What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It sounds like I'm in. Give me some confirmation, Jesus. He said, Jesus kind of puts his finger right on the issue for this guy. And he says, go and sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then you can follow me. Then you can have eternal life. It says the man goes away sad because there was something inside of him that loved his stuff, loved his possessions. So this is kind of an example that's laid out that's, that's a, a non, a, a, not a good example of generosity. Then you have examples like the widow, where Jesus is kind of, it seems like it falls in this weird place in the scriptures and towards the end of Luke and he just kind of stops and he's kind of observing the temple and he sees uh, some wealthy people put in a lot of money. And then he observes this widow put, put in two coins. And he kind of, you can tell, he just kind of stops everything and ta- tells his followers, hey, this, this woman gave all that she had. She put in everything. So she actually gave more than the wealthier people did, even though actually just numerically they gave more. But Jesus was trying to make a point that something about her heart, she gave everything. She gave out of her poverty. The rich gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty and she gave everything. There's something about her heart, something about where her heart was when she went to give that was in a different place maybe than these other people. And Jesus pointed that out. So all throughout the Gospels, we see these examples of generosity lifted up. Let's look at this passage, Luke 7 We'll go 36 through 38 to begin with. 
one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. This is Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So what, what provokes someone to do this, right? Like, like what provokes someone to, to kind of bust into this house in a way? I and mean, this is a Pharisee's house. This is a guy who, who would have been seen as, as, as like the, uh, the, the varsity level moralistic person, okay? And he's got Jesus over, very important guest, probably a bunch of other of his friends around, other Pharisees, and they're talking and, and probably discussing some of Jesus' teaching. And in walks this woman, obviously a sinner, it's called, the scripture calls her a woman of the city. Back then, I think that was obviously derogatory there. A woman of the city comes in, a sinner, and she just shows up. She didn't care, but she was putting a lot on the line to come in and to interact with Jesus in this spot. So I think you think of the widow and you think of this woman, and you, I think we should ask ourselves, what causes a person to do, th- to do things like this? What's happening inside of a person that causes a person just to give everything? It, it doesn't seem like there's any, they're not calculating the cost. They're just willing to give it all. Like I said, I think we all desire that. I think a part of us all do. We all desire to be a person who's generous, who can just give, give stuff away at the drop of the hat and not really think about it. And Jesus is going to answer the question here in a second. Let's see how the Pharisees react in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man knew better, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, you notice he didn't, Pharisees talking to himself, but Jesus obviously knows what he's thinking here, kind of reading him. And this is kind of a a little bit of, it seems like Jesus is getting a little snarky here. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus tells this this, this parable here. This is a certain, verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt? And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman obviously knew who Jesus was. She probably heard him. Maybe seen him do miracles, seen him out on the streets. 
But she was just, she was crushed, she was broken down, she was enthralled with the grace and mercy of Jesus. Like she knew that if she could get to him, if she could spend time with him, she could worship him in that moment, something would happen to her. She had heard something that caused her to want to be with Jesus and really give up a lot in that moment to be with him. She obviously gave up her dignity. Just picture this scene. Woman coming in, a sinner, obviously a, kind of to the Pharisee type, kind of an external sinner. Like you could tell. This woman's definitely not a Pharisee, comes in. She didn't care what people thought of her. She gave up her time. She gave up her valuable possessions. This, this jar of ointment that she brought in would not have been cheap. Would have been very, very expensive. Everyone else was there to kind of receive from Jesus and kind of talk to Jesus and discuss probably large ideas having to do with the law with Jesus. Well, she comes in and she doesn't ask for anything. She just comes in and starts cleaning his feet with her tears, with her hair. Rubs the ointment on Jesus' feet. Just radically serving Jesus in that moment. I think what Jesus is teaching here, I think, is the foundational thing for being a generous person. It's realizing how much we've been forgiven as followers of Jesus. Because here's the deal. Before, if you think of yourself before Christ saved you, and you were like a pretty good person, and there were some areas that, that, that needed to be worked on, and Jesus came in to save you in those few areas um, to kind of make you a better person, you're not going to be a very generous person. Because you, you, you're, the grace that you, in your mind, the grace that you've been shown wasn't that much because you didn't need that much grace. You didn't need that much mercy. But if you remember who you were when Christ saved you, spiritually bankrupt, an enemy of God, wicked, sin separated you from a loving and holy God. And realizing that was who you are, who you were when Jesus saved you, that was you back then. It's like, yes, Grace, mercy, I need it. I need a lot of it. Because I can't do anything on my own. I can't save myself. Forgiven little, little generosity. Forgiven much, and you realize how much you've been forgiven? Lots of room for generosity. So the place to start for generosity is the gospel. It's the grace and mercy that we've been shown in Christ is the foundation for our generosity. Realizing that we were once lost and now we're found. I would just say to those of you in here who aren't followers of Jesus, is there anyone in your life that's been that generous for you? Has been anyone in your life that has given everything for you and expected nothing in return? Think about that. If you've never experienced and thought about the mercy and the depths of the grace that God showed us in Christ, that we brought nothing to the table. We were bankrupt and he saved us. Just think about that. That's the foundation for being a generous person. So this aspect of the gospel is something we have to remember. 
this past orientation, this past aspect, this past angle, we have to look back and realize who we were. And that we are justified by his grace alone now. There's also a future element of the gospel that I think sometimes we forget about that also helps us be generous people. <clears throat> There's a great passage in Titus 3 that I think unpacks this really well. Titus 3, we're going to look at uh, verses 3 through 6 to begin with. This passage is written by Paul to one of his students, a guy he mentored named Titus. And he says this. This is just, again, restating this, this gospel idea. Verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly. There's that kind of economic term there. Poured his grace and mercy out richly to us. He didn't hold back through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, the, this future aspect is found in the very next verse. Listen, listen to verse 7 here. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This, this idea of being an heir with Christ is crucial. It's foundational to the gospel. And it's something that causes us to look forward, to trust God and have faith that he's going to take care of us in the future as his children. Look at Romans 8, 17. The same idea here that Paul gets at. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the question comes, though, okay, through the gospel, we are co-heirs with Christ, with, with Jesus. But what are we co-heirs with Jesus of? Like, what do we have because we're co-heirs with Jesus? What do we have access to now? Look at Hebrews 1 and 2. This is the, the best teaching on this. Hebrews 1, 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is God. He has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he, God, appointed the heir of all things. The heir of everything. All things. Like everything in the world is Jesus's. Right now, when Jesus returned to the Father, he becomes the heir. He's given everything. And when Jesus returns, that will actually play itself out. It hasn't started yet. It hasn't happened yet. But when Jesus returns, he, is the, he will be the king of the new heavens and the new earth. God has given Jesus everything. And we are co-heirs with Jesus. Like, I, I had trouble getting my mind around this. Like, I have access to everything in the world. The planets, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, the greatest works of art by artists, the greatest works of architecture by architects, the greatest acts of love that have ever been performed. All those things, all those ideas, we are heirs with Christ of those things. Now, we don't have those things yet, but we have the promise 
The promise is done. The promise has been finished. If you are in Christ, you are an heir with Christ. And when he returns, new heavens and new earth are set up. We will be co-heirs with him. He will be our king. We will live with him in eternity and be heirs with him of all things. And let this sink in. So I think if we had faith and we believed, like I think we kind of know this if we read, because it's in the Bible. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we, and we know this is true, but do we bank on it? Do we have faith? Do we have belief that this is what our future holds? We have hope. And the greater degree we let this sink in and have faith, like our hands become a little looser on our stuff. Matthew 6 says that the, the, the moths and the, and the rust are going to destroy those things. They're going to eat them up. Things are going to just break down after we're gone from here and we no longer on this, on this earth and die. Like the stuff we leave behind, it's just going to get left behind. The moths are going to eat it. The rust is going to destroy it. But we can't take that stuff with us. If we had this mindset of looking into the future and realizing we are co-heirs, I think it allows us, it puts the things here on earth into perspective, especially our stuff, because that's the thing that's hardest to let go of is our stuff, our possessions, our money, our time, our family. We kind of think that we kind of own that stuff, and it's God that he gave it to us, but we tend to, to live like we own it. We'll talk about more about that idea next week. So here's, I think, where the rubber meets the road. You talk about how this plays out in day-to-day life. We have these decisions all day long. I think we can, we can choose to be a generous person or maybe a not, a not generous person. Maybe just ignore whatever maybe is prompting you to be generous. I think this, some of this stuff is planned out. And some of this stuff is just as life happens, we have these opportunities to be generous people. So what in that moment is going to cause us to choose to be generous? I think it's these two things. Realizing what we've been forgiven from and what awaits us in the future. If those two aspects of the gospel, if we remember those things and allow those two things to shape us, then it will allow us to, to, to be good stewards of everything that God has given us and be generous people. <clears throat> and this helps to start thinking through the different ways, the different areas you can be generous. I've mentioned a few of them. Time, your, your, your gifts, things that you're good at by, by nature. Your time, your relational investment. I think all of us are maybe really, some of these things come really natural for us. Some of these things are harder for us to actually be generous with. For me, um, I know when it comes to finances, um, I tend to be more on like the saving end. Like I, I, I have trouble spending money sometimes. And selfishly, on the surface, I like to think that's a good thing. And I think it... Saving is not a bad thing. But if I'm honest with myself, I'm not saving because it's just a smart financial thing to do. I'm saving because I really don't trust God has has good planned for me in the future. Like there's something about having this money hold back. There's something about having that money back there for like an in case God doesn't show up rainy day fund makes me feel really good. Makes me feel nice to know that there's some money stuck back in case God doesn't take care of me. And even in my poverty, God's going to take care of me. No, I'm going to try to control things in the future 
so I'm never in poverty. So again, I, I, you know, sometimes it's the, the spender who is, is initially the person who's like, well, spending your money on silly things or whatever. It, it can go both ways. Again, it's the motives of the heart. Okay? But what this does is it causes me to, to be very um, stingy and be very slow to give away money in the present. To give away my stuff, to give away my, my time, especially money, I would say. Is, is, it's, it's hard because I want to save it. I want to put it back. I want, I want to know that it's there one day waiting for me. I mean, I have like, I, I'm notorious for the, the guy who keeps gift cards. I find a gift card in my wallet, like three years old. I'm like, whoa. I kind of stuck it back there and I kind of forgot about it, but I kind of pulled it out. It makes me feel good. Like, okay, got some free money. And then I call and it's expired. Well, there you go. So I, like, I'm, I'm that guy. Okay. Some of you can't wait you can't, it's like, it's like a hot coal in your pocket if you have a gift card in there. Um, that, that, that's you. And so I, I'm, I'm the guy that, that lets gift cards expire uh, because I, I, that makes me feel good knowing I have that gift card there. Some of you are different. Some of you are really generous with money. That's amazing. But are you generous with time? Are you quick to give yourself relationally to other people? Are you quick to give uh, your, your time to other people? Okay, I think, so all of us have blind spots when it comes to generosity. And I want us to think broadly today, not just about money, but think broadly of, are you a generous person? Is your life marked by generosity? Um, some of you, like I said, some of you are on different places on the map here. You're all over the map. And I think it's important for us to just reflect and really ask ourselves and be honest with yourselves and God, hey, where am I weak here? Where are my blind spots? And once you identify those things, ask God to give you faith in this area. Like if it's like, I, I just don't like to spend time. I like my times my, my own, protected my time. Trusting that if you give away your time, he's going to meet you there. He's going he's to bless you through that. Or something's going to happen in that relationship that you're going to look back and you're going to be like, man, I'm so glad I decided to go spend time with that person. Okay. Um, I think in closing, as I was thinking about this, I think one of the, I've always thought one of the best evidences of Christianity is um, how the church has responded to like, tra- tragic events. I mean, just in the last week, you're, you're hearing articles. I've read some articles about um, in Hurricane Harvey and, and the cleanup in Houston that actually the government organizations are noticing that like, the churches are doing things way more efficient and way better than they are. There's articles being written saying that like, the, the churches and the response of Christian organizations are far outpacing FEMA and government organizations. Like the church is doing its job really, really well in Houston right now. And I think that gives evidence to our faith. Rodney Stark, a church historian, he talks about in the, when, when, these, when these large plagues would come through uh, Europe in their history and the, the, the Christians would be the ones to go out on the street. People, people who were sick would be left behind. Because other, the healthy were trying to quarantine themselves and get out of the city, get out of population centers where the, the Christians would come in, take the sick people in, take sick kids in, risk their lives, risk, risk getting infected by things like the plague in order to take care of the sick and the dying at risk to their own health, at risk to their own life. And I think this is a great apologetic for our faith that what causes a group of people to act this way? Not, they weren't born more generous, weren't like smarter, more intellectual. 
weren't um, able to see angles better and be able to do those things. They didn't do anything by expecting to serve and get something in return. No, it's because collectively we understand the grace that we've been shown. We understand that grace. We understand what awaits us. So this world, we don't have to fear be that paralyzed over fear of dying in this life because of we know what awaits us. And this is one of the, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, I would, I would, that's a question I would ask myself. What causes groups of Christians like this throughout history to do some crazy like things that they put their lives in danger for? And the one I thought about all week that I'll close with this quote, um, Jim Elliott um, has this quote. Um, many of you probably know what I'm going to say, but I've always thought the, the people who make the ultimate sacrifice, giving, becoming martyrs for our faith, talking about giving up money, but no, just giving up everything, their life in the moment, giving it all up for the sake of, of Christ. And really asking myself, like, what makes a person do that? Obviously, the Holy Spirit inside of them in that moment is giving them boldness and confidence. But I wonder what a guy like Jim Elliott, what, what did he cultivate in his life leading up to that, to that point that caused him in that moment to say, yes, it's, it's worth it. I'm going to be generous in, in the most generous way a human being could possibly be generous in giving their own life. He says this, because he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He knew something awaited him that, that wasn't going away, that could never be taken away from him. But he knew his life was going to be gone. He knew he, may, he, he could have gotten more years out of his life. Obviously, he could have. But eventually, his life was going to be taken, and he knew that. So he knew that what the treasure that awaited him in heaven, being face-to-face with his Savior, that was the thing that drove him to make the ultimate sacrifice. And it's the same thing that drives us to just do something nice for someone in need. On those two, those two spectrums, it's about grace and remembering the past benefits and what we've been forgiven of and what awaits us in the future. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you when we're talking about something like money, like finances, something that can provoke strong feelings. Maybe we all have some baggage and some of us aren't happy with our situation financially and even stuff to give away our time. Maybe we just don't feel like we have enough time to give. I pray that you've spoken in your word all throughout the scriptures. We can open it and we can, we can hear your spirit speaking to us through your word, helping us understand these issues, helping us wrestle with these issues. And I pray more than anything that we would just have faith that, that you are going to meet us when we are wanting to be generous. Have faith that we've been justified. Have faith that our sin has been forgiven. Have faith that we have an inheritance waiting for us in the future. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. give his life up. He took bread around his closest disciples. He said, this bread represents my body broken for you. He tore it. 
Then he took a cup and he says, this cup represents my blood shed for you. Covering your past, present, and future sins. And partake of this. Take, take communion. Take the Lord's Supper as much as you can, Jesus tells us. To remember, to remember what I've done. To remember the grace and mercy that we've been shown as followers of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do now. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, I pray that you would think through those two aspects of the gospel. The past, what you've been saved from. And the future, what's awaiting us. The inheritance that's been given to us. And then ask yourself, are you a generous person? And maybe you need to do some business with God now and confess maybe some areas where you're not, where you haven't been generous. But don't do that begrudgingly. Realize that, just, just ask for forgiveness and realize that you have something better waiting for you. It's more blessed to give than receive. Scriptures tell us that. And to have faith that that promise is true. Like sometimes we don't believe that. That is it really more blessed to give? Is, is it really? Is that really the case? It takes some faith to believe he's going to meet you there. When you make that decision to, to, to give of your, your time or your money or whatever it is, that he's going to meet you there in grace and mercy in that moment when you're being generous. So if you're a follower of Jesus in here, think about those things when we give you a few minutes here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I would encourage you to think about what we've talked about today. You know, it was about generosity. We talked a little bit about money. But what I want you to think about is the generosity that Christ showed sinners. Giving up everything so people who are undeserving can share in the benefits of being a son, a daughter of God. Just think about that. Think about that generosity that Christ has shown to us sinners, people who are undeserving. All of us in this room were undeserving. Think about that. And if you're here and, you're, and, and, you, and you feel you, you're, you're having faith stirring and you're, you're having some level of belief and you want to put your faith in, in this Jesus, this Savior today, then come forward and take communion for the first time maybe. But if you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have saving faith, you don't consider yourself a follower of him, just stay where you're seated. This is a family thing. But if you have questions, push back on something I've said today, then please come talk to me. Let's talk about this. Let's discuss this. I want to hear about your experiences with this topic in the church. Let's discuss it. Go out for a meal or something. We're glad that you're here, if, that, if that's you I'm describing. So take a few minutes, think about those things. We have two stations in the front, one in the back.